apologize, uh, but uh, thank uh, Lane and Diane for um, the good job uh, on our stage. Uh, and um, anything you can do to make, make the stage look good it helps me. It makes me look better, and I need all the help I can get. So uh, appreciate uh, the, uh, the, all the uh, work. I don't know what went into it, but it looks like it took a long time. So uh, thank you for uh, for that uh, hard work. All right, John chapter 20. Let me pick it up in verse uh, 19 this morning, um, and. I want us to look at a, uh, a we're, just, we're just going to walk through this text uh, pretty much phrase by phrase, verse by verse, um, and I want you to see uh, a trail of transformation. Um, as uh, you are already aware, uh, after the crucifixion, or well, even during the crucifixion, uh, we know that the disciples uh, left in fear. Uh, it appears from uh, the accounts uh, that the only disciple that stayed uh, through the entire event was John, uh, that he stayed there and uh, Christ commended his mother uh, to his care. Uh, but uh, we know Judas uh, had went to betray, uh, and the other ten uh, were who knows where, uh, and uh, they, were, they had disappeared uh, in fear. And the opening verse this morning that uh, we look at in verse 19 tells us that uh, and lets us know for certain uh, we don't have to speculate that they were uh, somewhere. We don't know where. Uh, some have assumed that they were uh, back in uh, the upper room uh, where they had been previously, uh, but honestly it's not really uh, all of that clear uh, to us. But what is clear uh, in, in verse 20 is that uh, after the resurrection, uh, that the disciples, uh, and, and when I say disciples here, uh, we generally believe this was more uh, than just the ten uh, who were remaining. This was uh, a few other people as well uh, who had uh, become followers uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, but it, there is no question uh, that uh, when we read that verse, we know what uh, was going on. But the Bible says uh, they had went uh, and locked the door and, and were hiding behind uh, a locked door in fear. Now, uh, I will be uh, the first to uh, admit and, and acknowledge that they probably uh, had uh, every, well, I take, the, no, I take the probably out of that statement. They had every right uh, to be in fear. Uh, they, uh, there, was, uh, there was every reason uh, for them to, uh, to have that type of fear. Uh, it would only be reasonable uh, to assume uh, that if the the Romans had crucified Jesus uh, and went along with that plan and crucified him uh, as a traitor, basically, uh, then that, uh, that any of his associates uh, would be uh, likely to be uh, charged with similar type crimes. Uh, and so uh, they have every reason uh, to be concerned. They know that they have been seen uh, out uh, maneuvering around town. They had 
been at the miracles. They had uh, been hanging out with Jesus. Uh, we've already seen Peter uh, outside of the courtroom be uh, challenged. Hey, aren't you, you know, didn't I see you hanging out with him? Uh, aren't you one of, uh, one of his followers? And we know uh, that story. So uh, the fact that they were his followers uh, was well known. Uh, and uh, the, the reality uh, that uh, they could also be uh, subject to uh, whatever anger, uh, whatever uh, attacks that uh, the religious leaders of the, uh, of the Jews uh, or Pilate himself uh, might bring at them uh, was uh, a very uh, real uh, possibility. It was very likely, uh, in fact, you would, especially in that time, uh, you would uh, even expect uh, that to happen. If he's a traitor, his followers are traitors. See, uh, the logic that they would have had. Uh, and so it only stands to reason uh, that they need to be uh, cautious and that they have every reason uh, to be uh, afraid uh, in this setting. And I, and I say all that uh, to, to, for this point. Uh, there are, as I said last week, uh, in, in a kind of a similar uh, opening, there are things in life uh, that uh, bring us trouble. Uh, there are legitimate times uh, in our life for fear. We see uh, here their problem. We all uh, acknowledge that, uh, that life has hurdles. Uh, we'll call it hurdles. We'll uh, you know, life has its obstacles. Life has uh, times that uh, don't go as planned. Life, uh, you know, we, we lay out our uh, best plans. There's probably very few of us sitting in this room uh, that would say today, uh, April the 18th, 2021, my life is exactly uh, where I thought it would be uh, 30 years ago. Uh, you know, there, there's probably very few of us uh, who, who life... Uh, we would say, I've made it through life uh, with no curveballs coming along, uh, you know, with no uh, obstacles, no hurdles. They may have been uh, health hurdles. They may have been uh, financial hurdles. They may have been uh, family issues. They may have been uh, spiritual issues. May have been all four. May have been all four at once. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and you may be, uh, Debbie's up here, I think what she's saying, you may be bouncing between them. Just, you know, it's one today and a different one tomorrow. Uh, you know, and uh, we all need to understand that uh, the life uh, does have uh, challenges. Now, uh, I realize today that you can turn on your television uh, and you can find some fellas uh, who are on television telling you uh, just the opposite, that uh, life will be rosy-dozy and, uh, you, know, they, you know, everything will be smooth if you'll send them $100. Uh, you know, if you send me $100, my life will be better. I don't know about yours. But, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, you know life has uh, its challenges. And even for the, these disciples, uh, there was a problem. Uh, they were uh, concerned about what was going to take place 
uh, in uh, the very near future. Their leader has uh, been crucified, and, and now we kind of think he's, uh, he, he's uh, been resurrected, but you know, we're, still, you know, we're still a little confused about all that as well. Uh, you know, we're, you know, we're still not, uh, you know, I don't believe even at this point uh, that they were 100% uh, convinced uh, that, uh, of what they think uh, they have, uh, they have seen. You ever, you know, kind of had that situation? Well, I don't know that what I thought I saw is what I really, you know. They, they were kind of uh, confused by, uh, you know, th- th- these last 72 hours uh, have been a whirlwind. Uh, that, you know, th- these disciples in the last 72 hours have had, uh, you know, experiences and things go on uh, that are mind-blowing. They have uh, watched the crucifixion. They think they've seen uh, a resurrection. They've seen one that they thought they could trust, one that uh, they thought was their friend, one they did trust with their uh, money, actually go out uh, and betray uh, Jesus. Jesus, they uh, dealing with their own shame of uh, uh, of abandoning Jesus. There, you know, these men uh, come, come this first day of the week described here. Uh, they're idle. How, how's that? You know, I, I expect if you ask any of them, you ever said anybody, you know, and if they held up their hand, <laughs> you know, it was probably like this. You know, every time they heard somebody uh, outside, they heard a footstep in the street, they heard a footstep in the hallway, somebody knocked on the door, they, you know, they climbed the curtains. These men, uh, their nerves are shot. And, and, and what I want to, to, to understand, and I'm going to have to uh, take that statement and, and jump ahead, these are the same men uh, we read about uh, in the book of Acts uh, who are standing up and preaching the gospel. These are the same men. Uh, here, here, one of them is, uh, is Peter, uh, who just a little bit ago denied Jesus uh, three times, who returned to his fishing nets uh, after uh, the crucifixion. But yet, in the book of Acts, we're going to see him stand up in the middle uh, of a crowd of Jews who were guilty of the crucifixion of Jesus and say, Hey, let me have your attention a minute, you bunch of killers. Uh, you, know, you killed Jesus Christ, the Messiah, uh, and, and preached uh, at Pentecost. What happened? What changed? What was the transformation from those two points? That's what we're going to walk through uh, in, in this text this morning. What brought these disciples from a, a group of basket cases to the boldest gospel machine ever seen? What happened? Notice uh, as we walk through this, uh, as we move on uh, from the problem, the first thing uh, that we notice then is the presence. If you look in verse 19 again, uh, you see that the first thing that, uh, that happened uh, was as they were there, in that room, as they were there terrified, hiding, scared for their life, Jesus appeared in the room. Jesus showed up. They, they, the first thing that moved these men from uh, a, a group of, uh, a, a, of, uh, of overly uh, terrified, uh, you know, high blood pressure, heart pulse through the roof, nervous wrecks to a bold uh, gospel machine was the very presence of Jesus. The fact that as they stood in that room, as they stood there, again, 
that these men were, uh, again, that there was, for some of them, they were still uh, struggling. Again, Thomas, we don't believe, was in this room at that time. Uh, Thomas uh, later would say, hey, I won't believe it until I see it. Uh, you know, well, you know, the only difference, Thomas, poor Thomas gets beat up for that statement. But here's the difference. The other disciples didn't believe it until they saw it either. Yeah, Thomas just said it. Yeah, and, and now Jesus has appeared in His presence uh, in the room. And you, you can almost, as you read this text, as you go through, you can almost see uh, the temperature coming down in the room. As they're gathered in fear, then Jesus appears through the door. doesn't open the door, just appears in the room. You can almost hear Him go, whew. Everything's going to be all right now. Whew. Still don't understand it, but it's going to be all right because Jesus was present. Jesus was present. Listen, the first thing that changed these men's lives was the very presence of Jesus Christ as He arrived on the scene. Listen, we have today that very same presence. The Bible tells us uh, that He will go with us, that He uh, stays with us, uh, that we have to, at any point in time, we can call on His name. At any point in place in our journey, we can reach out and, and, and hear from Jesus Himself. We have His Word uh, in our hand. We can Listen, this isn't just some book uh, a group of men put together. This is the God-breathed, God-inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. If I want to hear from Jesus Christ, all I have to do is pick up His book, His love letter that He had penned and delivered safely into my hands. Listen, we have the presence of Jesus Christ. Do we have the presence of problems? Was Pilate still an issue? Absolutely. Was Pilate still a killer? Absolutely. Were the religious leaders of, Jew, uh, of Israel still a bunch of nutcases? Absolutely. But was Jesus still on the throne? Absolutely. And now they knew it more than ever because they saw Jesus. They had the presence of Jesus Christ in their situation. Listen, we can be transformed. I, even though we have issues and burdens and problems that come into our life, just like these disciples did, we still know that we have the presence of Jesus. I can ride down the road in my car. I can sit in my house. I can, you, know, you can lock me away and throw away the key, but you cannot separate me from the love and the presence of Jesus Christ. They were transformed by that presence, but not just by His presence, but in His presence. Notice His provision. The first thing He says to them when He appears in that room is shalom, peace. Now, I want to take just a moment and ask you to venture off into an imaginary world with me for just a moment. I want you to do something that may make some of you a bit anxious. But I want you to put yourself in the sandals of Jesus. Okay? 
I know for some that's harder than others. But put yourself in his sandals in that moment. You have been sold for 30 pieces of silver by one of your chosen disciples. Ten of your chosen disciples have ran off into the night and behind the locked door in fear. One of your disciples denied you three times. I defended Thomas a moment ago, and I don't want to throw him under the bus because he might have had a doctor's appointment. I don't know. But Thomas was not in this group. If you read the Gospels, you discover that Thomas was not here in this room at this time. And so for whatever reason, Thomas has still, you know, again, he might have had a dentist appointment. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he was not there. You have been telling your disciples for three years that after three days, you were going to be resurrected. On the morning of the third day, when you came out of the tomb, not one of them was standing there waiting. I said, we've been waiting on you. In fact, when some of your followers arrived at the tomb, they didn't even think at that point you had been resurrected. They thought your body had been stolen. Okay? You're still in Jesus' sandals with me, right? What is the first thing you say when you get another meeting with your disciples? I know some of y'all don't sit there and act all holy just because you've got on Jesus' sandals. I told you so. You bunch of losers, you know. What would, you, what would be your first words to this group? For some reason, I just have a hunch. I know everybody in this room, and I haven't looked at the staff. I don't know who's joining us online, but I know everybody in this room know you really well for the most part. Again, we've been together a long time. Here in a few weeks, it'll be 26 years I've known some of you. I know some of you better than I know my own family. And I just have a sneaky suspicion that the first words out of your mouth when you got back to meet your followers would not have been peace. Calm down. I have a hunch most of you would have had on Jesus' sandals, but it would have looked a lot more like the day he had the whip down at the temple running out the money changers. I have a hunch that's how most of us would have reacted. We would have come in fit to be tied is the phrase I, you know, I'll use. Jesus comes in, and of all the things he could say, he says, Shalom, peace. A word, understand this, that there's so much about that word, that as Jesus came into that room and he says, Shalom, that was 
a, a that, that was like hello in their society. That was a common, everyday greeting. That was a common, everyday blessing. And so the first thing Jesus does as he comes into that room is rather than rake them over the coals, rather than beat them down, peace. He speaks a word in his voice, a word that to them would have, again, caused them to go, <sighs> Now notice, he actually says that phrase twice. When he comes into the room, and then look down in a moment, he's going to say the same thing again, peace to you. He comes in and he says peace when he walks into the room. That was to calm them down. He tells them peace the second time to send them out. His provision. Now, let me ask you to change shoes. Take off Jesus' sandals and put on one of the disciples' sandals for a minute. You're sitting in that room and Jesus comes in and says, Peace! What do you say back? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. You may not say it, but I will. Have you lost your mind? You know, the, the Jews want to kill us. Here you are popping through walls. Yeah, yeah I'm real calm. Yeah, I'm real cool right now. But the peace of Jesus, the Bible says, passes all understanding. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever looked at your spouse, or have you ever had anybody look at you in the middle of a debate? How's that? In the middle of a discussion, look at you and say, calm down. Miranda's an officer. Have you ever told somebody that? Does it work? No, because it doesn't work, right? No use in telling them, calm down. You know, no, calm down. But isn't it interesting that when Jesus says calm down, it changes them? How did they move from a group in total fear to a gospel machine? Because Jesus provided peace. See, here's the difference. As I thought about that, if Jeff and Sherry are discussing um, an issue, and Jeff looks at Sherry and says, calm down. That's how Jeff hurt his shoulder, really, right? That's how, you, know, no, you know why it doesn't work? Because he hasn't given her a reason to calm down. He just told her to calm down. 
I'm not calm because of a problem. You're telling me to calm down. Isn't going to calm me down because we hadn't fixed the problem. Right? You know, tell, telling me to calm down, you may as well have told me to fly around the house. There's no substance to you telling me to calm down. But when Jesus says, peace, settle down, he provides the peace that allows us to calm down. Why should they, as Jesus, you know, let's, let's go back. I don't know which sandals. I don't forget whose shoes we got on. Let's go back to that room for a minute. When Jesus says peace, the first response for that, that seems logical to me is, are you nuts? Have you not paid attention to what's going on the last 72 hours? Why should I calm down? And here's the answer. Because I'm here now. I brought you peace. I'm not just telling you to calm down. I'm giving you substance. I'm giving you reason to calm down. See, as we go through our life, as you face the battles, as you face whatever those hurdles are, you have the presence of Jesus providing peace. We're never alone. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because his rod and his staff, they, they're with me. They comfort me. See, there's a difference in the world saying calm down and Jesus saying calm down. There's a difference in me saying peace and Jesus coming back out of that tomb and appearing in that room and saying, Shalom. You ever had that experience? Maybe as a child, you were scared. It was storming. It was dark. You, you, you were afraid. The shadows looked like monsters. You were terrified. Mama, Daddy comes into the room and sits down, and in that moment, their presence brings peace. You ever seen a baby crying? Mama picks them up, and in that instant, what happened? They provided, they didn't just, they didn't just say to the child, calm down, they brought peace. Jesus brought peace into this room. Why do we see the provision? But walk with me as we continue. You see then, Verse 20, it says, After he said peace, then he showed him his hands and his side. And notice this line. Then the disciples were glad. I want you to back up for a second. Look back in uh, verse 19. On the first day of the week, the disciples were being locked. When the disciples were locked behind the door for fear of the Jews. Jesus tells them peace, shows them his hands and his side. Now they are glad. See the transformation? You see the change that Jesus brought into their life when he brought about the proof? What is the, the, trans, what, what is the transformative thing going on here? The fact that Jesus appeared to them. You know, there, there, there was, again, we see this 
still, even in this text, there are still some even today in, in 2021. We see in this passage where the women thought, what? Someone had stolen the body of Jesus. Mary thought the gardener had moved the body of Jesus. Jesus comes into the room, and, and to some extent, there are some disciples. Again, we know Thomas says, I, I believe it when I see it. But Jesus says, ta-da! Here it is. The wounds. I have proven who I am. I have proven my love. I have proven my care for you. Listen, what we have here, as, as you look at this text, is he shows them, listen, these wounds were so much more than just identification. As, as all this, as the disciples were beginning to put the puzzle together. Have you ever worked a jigsaw puzzle? You know, you dump it out, and when you first dump it out, you get all the pieces turned over, you look at it, and the first thought runs through your mind is, what have I done? Put it back in the box. And then you start trying to find two pieces to go together. But have you ever noticed what happens? The longer you work on the puzzle, as you get more and more of it together, the quicker the pieces start coming, start going into place. Those, finding those first two pieces to put together probably takes longer on average. You might look up in the first two. But on average, one of those first two pieces takes longer than, you know, than, than the last 25 pieces. You know, but, but as the puzzle begins, as you get the outside together and you begin to fill in the inside, then it begins to make, and you begin to, you know, if there's a couple of you working on it, you start fighting over pieces because it makes sense. Just a few days ago, the disciples had dumped a puzzle on the box, on the table, and they had looked at all 500 pieces and thought, what in the world are we going to do? And they started one by one putting the pieces together. And as Jesus held out his hands, the final piece fell into place. And they realized that all that Jesus had been telling them about dying for them, about being resurrected, about saving them, about being the Lamb, about being the Savior, click, click, click. And it changed them. Folks, when you get a full grasp and full wrap your mind around the fact that Jesus Christ loved you enough to go to a cross and die for you and be, uh, be a, a assaulted and tortured and tormented and crucified and shed his blood for you, placed in a tomb and resurrected on the third day and came out of that tomb and came out alive and came out victorious over death, hell, and the grave, ascended to his Father and is just waiting for the word from his Father to return and to call his people home. It is transformative. It changes who you are. It changes what you are. It changes everything about you. And he tells them then, in verse 21, he goes on, and we see their purpose. After he showed them the wounds and they were glad, he says again to them, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. He says, All right. Get out of this locked room and go to work. Go to work. 
Get busy doing my work, being my people. Get busy about kingdom business. You have a task to do. Go. I'm sending you. I'm sending you out. And he tells them then in verse 22. He goes on. And here's one of the great things. He says to them uh, that as he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the power. What changed them? You see this trail? These steps? What changed them was he breathed on them and equipped them and empowered them with the Holy Spirit. Folks, I'm going to say something that's going to make some of you a little bit anxious. Again, I'm just... Y'all going to be like the disciples. You're going to run and get in a locked room and hide behind the door. I haven't become Pentecostal. I'm still Baptist. But don't be afraid of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That has come, that has been given to us to equip us and to empower us and to, to guide us, to comfort us. Jesus says, I'm going to send you, but I wouldn't send you out without the power, without the tools you need to do the task. And then one of the most confusing verses in all of Scripture. Jesus says this. He says, for if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. Uh, If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What? Is Jesus saying the disciples have the authority to forgive sin? No. It's not what he's saying. Some of the greatest Greek scholars in the world, Kenneth Wiest, Ounce, some of the greatest Greek scholars in the world have taken this verse and analyzed it. And if you look at the verbs and the tenses and all that stuff that will make your mind go crosswise. Here's what it boils down to. He says, forgiveness has already been paid for at the cross. If you'll preach forgiveness, it's available to them. But if you don't preach it, they'll never hear it. They'll never know it. And that, my friends, changed the disciples. We need to hear those final words. That the world, our loved ones, our friends, our family, our neighbors, they are waiting and dependent on you and I to tell them about Jesus Christ. If we don't tell them, who will? I had the opportunity this week to listen to um, Todd Unzick, who is uh, the candidate to be the uh, executive director for the Baptist State Convention. And he spent a lot of time talking about this topic. And then I had uh, another opportunity to hear 
uh, Jeff Yord from Golden Gate Seminary talk on the exact same topic. Um, that in the culture we live in today, we've got to learn to live like missionaries, to act like missionaries. Yeah, if somebody applies and is approved to go be a missionary, let's say, I don't know, Tanzania. I'll make up a, well, that's not made up, that's a real place. I'm just picking one. If they're chosen to be a missionary in Tanzania, what do you think the first thing they have to learn is? Their language. So they don't go to Tanzania and say, all right, y'all going to have to learn English so we can tell you about Jesus. Is that what you're telling me? They learn to speak their language. What kind of clothes do you think they wear? How do you think they live? How do you think they act? They go in as much as Christianly, I'm not sure that's a word, possible, dress, act, talk, Blend. They, they go to them. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that the model Jesus gave us? Jesus came to us. You remember at Pentecost, I mentioned that a moment ago, when Jesus stood up to when, when excuse me, when Peter stood up to preach, how did the, what did the audience hear? Every man heard the gospel in what? His tongue. Folks, if the church of Jesus Christ is going to survive moving forward, we've got to quit, get out of this mindset that we can build a building and throw open the doors on Sunday morning and the world is going to come to us. We're going to have to do just what Jesus said to them. I'm sending you. And whether or not they hear the word and their sins are forgiven is dependent on you. Jesus says, I've done my part. I've went to the cross. I've shed my blood. Now, I'm sending you. These men went out and the Bible says they turned the world upside down. Bible's words, not mine. Why? Because they were changed from a group of men hiding behind a locked door in fear to the most powerful evangelism machine where thousands were saved in their meetings. But you know what? Every one of them died a martyr's death. They had to be willing to go sacrifice and pay the price. God can change us and transform us into gospel machines. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And God's still in the transforming business. He can still change you. You're here today and you're, you're a believer you say, I know Jesus Christ. You're watching online, and you say, no doubt, I know I am a believer. 
God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to change me and to transform me. Just like you sent those disciples, you have sent me, and I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need you to change me and make me into a gospel-proclaiming machine. That everyone I meet, everyone I see, hears something about Jesus. God, change me. Get me out from behind the locked doors of fear. And send me out with the power of the Spirit. But more importantly, you're here, you're online today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He can still transform you. He can still change you. He can still shape you. He can still save you. You don't know Him as your Savior. You've never been saved. You've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart. Or maybe you've been in church for years. Maybe you've sung in the choir. Maybe you've taught Sunday school. Maybe you've been a deacon. But you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you were to die today, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Don't leave here today. Don't leave this building. Don't sign off this internet uh, streaming today until you can say beyond a doubt, I know Jesus Christ. I know Christ. He's my Savior. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, I ask you this morning to transform us. Transform us as a church. Transform us individually. God, make us a gospel machine carrying the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. You've done your part. You sent your son. He did his part. He died on a cross. And now, Lord, the, the burden, the, the duty is on us to go forward and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. He's given us the proof. He's given us the provision. He's given us the power. God, change us. Send us out. God, save this morning. The one that needs to hear the gospel. The one that doesn't know Christ.